Okay, well, we are getting close to the end of Second Chronicles. We've got this week and next week, and we should have gotten through it all. Uh, let me just remind you, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 30 was dealing with um, this incredible revival, this time of renewal that was being led by King Hezekiah. And uh, you remember they had the, uh, the Feast of Passover, the, pa- the uh, Passover time, and um, they couldn't do it at the normal time, but fortunately God had already said, if you can't keep it this month, you can keep it the 14th of the next month. That's what they did. And uh, they went seven days of absolute feasting and wonderful time, and, and the people said, do we have to leave? Can we go one more week? And they went one more week. So they went two full weeks of, of festival just celebrating God's graciousness and God's goodness. So we get to Second Chronicles chapter 31. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images and threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, until they utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. Now you can tell when revival happens because revival changes your life. Okay? It's not just an emotional thing. It's not just a, wow, I feel really good now, and I'm really excited, and this is really cool. Okay? When God moves in a, in a miraculous way and God really stirs our hearts, it changes our walk. And you notice after these 14 days, they said everything is not of God in our area is coming down. And they went hunting for the sacred pillars, tore them down, not only in Judah, but also northern to um, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they destroyed them all. And then everybody went to their own cities. Everyone went back to their possession. And Hezekiah appointed the division of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions, each man according to his service, the priests and the Levites for burnt offering and peace offerings, to serve, to give thanks, and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. So he reestablishes the whole temple process, the temple worship, and he sets all of that up. Verse 3, the king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings, for the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moon, the new moons, and the set feast as it is written in the law of the Lord. So the next thing we see is that he is making a personal sacrifice. He's financing this himself. He said, this is really important to me, and we need to have the burnt offerings, and I know that we don't have anything coming in yet because the people were not taught about giving, okay? And they weren't taught about tithing. And all of that was absent from their understanding. So Hezekiah said, guys, count me in on this one. I'm going to step up to the plate and I'm going to make sure that the sacrificing continues even after this time of feast. Remember the, the whole second week of the two-week feast of Passover was financed by him. Okay, He supplied all the animals for the sacrifices, all the food for the people to eat. He did all that himself. Okay? And then he says, I want you to know that I personally am committed to this. I'm so committed to it that I'm going to take of my own possessions, and until I am broke, I'm going to make sure sacrificing is done. There we go. Now we get to verse 4. Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. So he said to the people in Jerusalem, okay, guys, it is time for you to step up. It's time for you to become a giver. It's time for you to make sacrifices so that these who are serving the Lord can serve the Lord without any interruption. As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in in abundance of the first fruits of grain and wine and oil and honey and of all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. Okay, so here they were, they were obedient, they realized, okay, this tenth belongs to the Lord. And you understand what, what Proverbs tells us about that, that when we give, we are honoring the Lord. Okay, when you give, you are saying, God, I realize I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for you. And so as I give to you, I am honoring you with the first of the fruits, the first things that you've given to me. And, I've, you know, we talked about tithing in the past. And people say, well, you know, we don't tithe in the New Testament. Tithing has nothing to do with the law. Okay, I want you to throw that away once and for all. Okay, because Abraham tithed. And we are direct spiritual descendants of Abraham. Okay? And, and I love something Rick said the other day, and, and I've agreed with this. I've taught this my whole, my whole Christian life. As a Christian, 10% of what you have doesn't belong to the Lord. 100% belongs to the Lord. 
okay? It's, you know, and if, and if you are walking in obedience to the Lord and you're saying, God, you know, I'm honoring you with this, with this tithe, with this 10%, not because it's some legalistic thing I have to do, but because I want to honor you the way Abraham honored you. And I've always told people, I said, you can get by on 90% a lot better than you get by on 100% if you're robbing God, okay? So, and if you look at it, basically 100% belongs to God. So if you're getting by with 10%, you're getting by cheap. You are. You're getting a bargain, okay? And the children of Israel um, and, the, and, of, and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, also the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God, they laid in heaps. So all these things, they dedicated this tenth to God, and they said, we're going to give this to God. So they came in, and, and the giving was so abundant here that there were piles of things, okay? There's piles of stuff going on here. The third month, they began laying them up in heaps, and they finished this in the seventh month. So, they, you know, God is, is blessing their, their fruit. God is blessing them with, with firstborn animals. And they're just bringing all this stuff in, and they're piling it up. And I love this. And when Hezekiah, verse 8, and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Okay? said, so, wow, this is amazing. And Hezekiah questioned the priest and the Levites concerning the heaps. So we got piles of stuff out here, guys. You know, we just got heaps and heaps of stuff. What is up with that? And as Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, since the people began to bring the offerings to the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people. And that's the key, okay? And, and understand, when you give, you are opening the door to blessing. And people say, well, I don't believe in giving, uh, in giving to get. I don't care whether you believe in giving to get or not. You give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Okay? Whether you believe that or not, it's going to happen. God is going to, you give, and God is going to bless you. And you may say, well, but, but I, I, I don't want to give just to get. Then give just to give. Because God loves a cheerful giver. And just give to God. Go ahead, make that sacrifice. Step out and see if you can outgive him. And when you give, it's just a miracle. Because God gives back to you abundantly. So here they started bringing their tithe, and God started blessing them so much, their tithe was growing. Okay? And, that's, and then the priest recognizes that. He said, you know, we have had more than enough to eat, and look what God has done. He has begun now to bless his people abundantly, and what is left are these heaps. What is left is this great abundance. Now Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. He said, okay, well, we don't want all these heaps out here, guys. We've got to take care of this stuff. God has given it to us. God has given it to you. So you need to, you need to prepare a place and, and clean out some of those, those rooms in the temple of the Lord and in the house of the Lord and start putting the stuff in there. Things that people have dedicated to the Lord, just put them in there. Put that treasure in there. Whatever God has brought in, just get it out of the weather, okay? Get it put away. Then they faithfully brought in the offerings, the tithes, and the dedicated things. Conaniah the Levite had charge of them. Shemei, his brother, was next. Jehiel, Ahaziah, Nahath, Azahel, Jeremoth, Jazabad, Eliel, Ishmachiah, um, Mahath, and Benaniah were overseers under the hand of Conaniah and Shemaiah, his brother. And the commandment of Hezekiah, the king, and Amaziah, the ruler of the house of God. Cori, the son of Imnah, the Levite, the keeper of the east gate, was over the freewill offerings to God. Okay, so they, they had some guy over just freewill offerings. Okay, this isn't the burnt offerings. This isn't the, 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 uh, the tithe. This is just, okay, now you're in charge of just taking care of the freewill offerings to God to distribute the offerings of the Lord and the most holy things. So you understand that God blessed the the nation of Israel, they were giving, they, these things were stored up, and then there was distribution. And the distribution went to the Levites and to the priests so they could, they could be taken care of. And under them were Eden, Min, Minimim, Jeshua, Shimeiah, Amariah, and Jeconiah, his faithful assistants in the cities of the priests to distribute allotments to their brethren by divisions to the great as well as to the small. So everybody got the same allotment. Everybody was taken care of. Everybody got food. So it wasn't a matter of, you know, well, you know, you, 
you don't work all that much in the house of the Lord, so you don't get as much. No, everybody got taken care of. Look at verse 16. Besides those males from three years old and up who are written in the genealogy, even three-year-old kids are getting a portion of the blessings that God has brought into the house of the Lord. So these three-year-old kids who are going to be future priests, man, here's, here's some, some money that God brought in, and, and here's your portion of it. It's like amazing. They distributed to everyone who entered the house of the Lord his daily portion for the work of his service by his division. And to the priests who were written in the genealogy according to their father's house, and to the Levites from 20 years old and up according to their work by their divisions, and to all who were written in the genealogy, their little ones and their wives, their sons and daughters, the whole company of them, for in their faithfulness they sanctified themselves in holiness. And remember we had a problem with the Levites and the priests sanctifying themselves. When, when this revival first started, there weren't enough priests to do the sacrificing because the Levites were more diligent. The priests had kind of slacked off and really didn't have a spiritual interest. And so once all of this began to happen, they kind of got with the program. And not only did they get with the program, but what we're reading here is their whole families got with the program. Also, for the sons of Aaron the priest who were in the fields of the common lands of their cities, in every single city, there were men who designated by name to distribute portions to all the males among the priests and to all who were listed by genealogies among the Levites. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true. I love those three words. He did what was good, what was right, and what was true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, so he prospered. Okay? Everything that came into his heart to do, he did it wholeheartedly. Okay? There's nothing half-hearted about him. And when you are wholehearted, God is going to bless you. God is going to prosper you. After these deeds of faithfulness, and that's, that's an important line to open up with because all of a sudden there's going to be some opposition here. There's going to be an army that comes against, uh, against Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, you have to understand, had been faithful to God. And when you're faithful to God, God will be faithful to you. Okay? So after these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah. He camped, encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. Now, now the, the Assyrians had already attacked the northern kingdom of Israel and had carried them away captive. In fact, when, when the runners were sent up to invite everyone down for the Passover, remember that the people, it, we talked about the people that had escaped the hand of the Assyrians, the people that were still in the land, because there weren't that many of them. The northern kingdom was carried away by the Assyrians and carried over to the Assyrian Empire. Well, um, at that time, um, Hezekiah sent some gold and silver and said, hey, to Sennacherib, to the king of Assyria, said, don't attack us. You know, here's, here's some money, just go on your way. And he went on his way. And there was this point at which Hezekiah stopped paying tax to this guy. He'd had it, and no, you know, God is blessing us. We're doing what's right in God's sight. God's going to honor that. Well, all of a sudden we have Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, coming against Judah, and he encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. Now remember that the way that cities were taken back in this day is they were taken by siege. And you would basically just camp your army around the city. And you would stay there as long as it took to starve the people out. And sometimes it would take a few months. Sometimes it would take a couple years. But it's no big deal. You've got your army outside. Nobody's going anywhere. Everybody's living out there. They're just going on with life as normal and, and starving those people out until they finally surrender. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he knew that in his heart he was going to come to Jerusalem. He consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. Thus many people gathered together to stop all the springs and the brook that ran through the land, saying, why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water. So the water flows down from the area of Jerusalem. There are several springs um, approaching the city, several springs outside the city. And they said, we're just going to stop all these springs up. We're just going to stop them from flowing. 
and that way there won't be water flowing down there because if the kings of Assyria want to come, well, we're going to make it hard on them. We're not going to make it easy on them. And he strengthened himself, built up all the wall that was broken, raised it up to the towers, and built another wall outside. Also he repaired the millow in, in the city of David and made weapons and shields in abundance. So he had plenty of time because the king of... The king of Assyria had come and was now starting in the, in the fortified cities. And so he was going to come to Jerusalem for an extended period of time. So they had time to get with the program to make sure that they, they got the wall repaired. They had time to, to build a secondary wall. And they're working, getting all of that done, as well as, as storing up weapons and, and armory. Then he sent military captains over the people, set military captains over the people, gathered them together to him in the open square of the city gate, and gave them encouragement, saying, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Those are encouraging words. Okay, real similar to, uh, to a conversation that took place between Elijah and his servant. The one day when they were in Dothan and the um, king of Syria had sent uh, his army down to Dothan where Elijah was because Elijah kept telling the king um, what was going to happen next. So he, you know, he'd go to, to Samaria and say, okay, just so you know, this is what the Syrians are planning. They're planning on coming over into this area of your country. So just you know, get ready to ambush them and, you know, or, or get ready to abandon that area so that they've got nobody to fight with over there. So this is, and so many times the plans of the king of Syria were made known to, um, to Elijah, and Elijah would then pass that on to the king. And, of course, the king of Syria is saying, you know, okay, now, now who is, who's leaking all of this? And you can imagine at that time, because this was after Naaman the leper was healed, one of, one of the generals of the king of Syria, uh, you can imagine that he would look down that end of the table and say, I don't know who is telling the king what's going on here, but somebody at this table is leaking the news. And, of course, Naaman, who was a leper and had been healed by Elijah certainly, um, you know, had some connections to Israel. And at that point, uh, one of the other men spoke up and said, nobody's leaking anything. It's God. God's hearing what we're talking about here in this meeting room. And he's telling Elijah the prophet. And Elijah the prophet is telling the king of, of Israel. And so uh, <laughs> the king of Syria says, I, I want some scouts to get out there and find out where that guy is. And they found out that he was in Dothan, and Dothan was, a, was not a walled city. It was a, an unwalled city, a defenseless city. And so he sent his army down there, a good, good number of his army, detached down there to that defenseless city, surrounded the city. Uh, Elijah got up in the morning, his servant with him. His servant looks out and sees all of, these, all of these military men that have completely surrounded the city. And he turns to Elijah and he said, what shall we do? I mean, what are we going to do? We're totally surrounded. And the same words are the words that Elijah spoke to him in encouragement and says, don't fear, because there are far more with us than are with them. And he prayed that God would open this young man's eyes. God opened this young man's eyes, and he saw on the hills on the other side of the, of the armies were the, what was, was the host of God, was the army of God. And so at that point, he took great courage because then the the, the Soldiers that were there were smitten with blindness, and, and Elijah said, what are you looking for? They said, we're looking for Elijah. He said, ah, he's not here. I'll lead you to where he is. And he takes them all the way into the city of Samaria, okay? And the army, their, their eyes are open once they're inside the city, okay? And, of course, the king is ready. Okay, can I kill them? He said, why are you going to kill them? You know, just treat them kindly. Give them a meal and send them home. And that's what he did. But those same words, you know, that there are more with us than with him. We need to remember that. As New Testament kind of puts it a little differently. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Puts it a little differently. If God be for us, who can be against us? Okay? And so they're encouraged by the words of Hezekiah. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem. But he and all the forces with him laid siege against Lachish. And Lachish was a, a walled city that was about 30 miles southwest of Jerusalem. So they came saying, Thus says Sennacherib king of Assyria, 
In what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine and by thirst, saying, the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Do you realize what Hezekiah is, is trying to talk you into? He's trying to talk you into starving to death. He's trying to talk you into dying of dehydration because we're going to cut off the water, we're going to cut off your food, and you guys are going to die a miserable death inside that city. And the whole time, I know what Hezekiah is telling you. He's saying, oh, just trust in the Lord. Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, you shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it? And he did that. There were people that were, that were burning incense on all... And, and sacrificing on altars throughout the land, and they were doing it to the Lord, but they weren't doing it the right way. And Hezekiah, you know, took down all those altars, and he's saying, well, is, you know, he's telling you to trust in the Lord, and he has taken down the Lord's altars. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of the other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands in any way able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Okay, we've come up against other gods. We've, we've heard other people say, hey, trust in our God. And there hasn't been a God yet who has been able to deliver their people out of our hand. So you might as well give it up. Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my fathers utterly destroyed that could deliver them out of, deliver his people from my hand, that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Okay, so your God is no different than all those other gods. Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. Or persuade you like this, and do not believe him. For no god of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Furthermore, his servant spoke against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. So in addition to that, they're just out there bad-mouthing the Lord God. They're bad-mouthing Hezekiah. Not only that, Zechariah... Uh, um, Zennacherib writes some letters, verse 17. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, as the, gods of the other, as the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. Then they called out with a loud voice in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and trouble them that they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem, against the God, against the gods of the people of the earth, the work of men's hands. Uh, there's a, Second Kings also carries the same account, and there's, there's something else that is mentioned in, in that account that I absolutely love. And it's the fact that when Hezekiah received these letters, the word tells us that he went into the house of the Lord and he spread them out before the Lord. He spread these letters out and basically said, God, these letters aren't addressed to me. These letters aren't accusing me of being impotent, okay? They are accusing you of not having any power. They are putting you on the same level as all the other so-called gods. And Lord, this is your city. These are your people. And it, and one of the things I've always talked about in that, him spreading those letters out before the Lord, is that we don't read about him gathering them up, taking them home and reading them in his house. He spread them out before the Lord, and he left them before the altar of God. God, these are the letters. Read them at your convenience. Check out what they've said about you, about your people, about your city, and about your lack of power. And God, I'm leaving the letters with you. And so often when we are, are overwhelmed, we need to bring our burden to the Lord and we need to leave it there, okay? And when, when in the New Testament, Peter talks about casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you, that word cast literally means to throw with all your might. You're throwing it as hard as you can. You're throwing it as far as you can and you are not going after it. You are not going to gather it back up. It's not a yo-yo, okay? Here it is, God, but I'll take it from here. You're laying it down. You're throwing it. You're giving it. And, and this is the way that peace really comes to your life, okay? Peace comes when you bring those things to God and you take your hands off of them. And it becomes God's problem instead of your problem. And it's really important for us to take our hands off, okay?
that's why I love when we worship. We always raise our hands, okay? And you don't raise your hands closed-fisted, right? Never see anybody, you know, oh, praise God. It's like, what? Okay, what, what's that mean? No, it's praise God. I got nothing in my hands, God, holding on to nothing. Okay. And so they, they came, and, and of course, they're speaking to those on the wall. They're speaking in Hebrew, the, the language they speak, not in the language of the Assyrians. And, uh, and so the request is also given, told in, in 2 Kings, that, uh, that they request, hey, we understand the language of Assyria. Don't speak in Hebrew anymore. And, and, and the response was, why should we speak in, in, uh, in the, the language of the Assyrians when, when these people that are on the wall are the ones that are going to have to uh, grossly... Um, eat their own excrement and drink their own urine, okay? And so, uh, verse 20. Now, because of this, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried out to heaven. Then the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leader, and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned shamefaced to his own land, And when he had gone into the temple of his God, some of his own offspring struck him down with the sword there. And again, 2 Kings 19th chapter gives us a number of guys that were killed that night because there was an angel of the Lord that went through the camp of the Assyrians in one night and killed 185,000 men. Okay, So they basically wiped out, one angel wiped out the army. Now, let's fast forward to the New Testament. Let's fast forward to this mob who has torches and clubs and swords that have come to arrest Jesus. And Peter pulls out the sword to lop off some guy's head, nicks his ear, chops his ear off. Jesus heals his ear, says, put, put the weapons away, Peter. You're a better fisherman than you are a sword fighter. Put it away, okay? Put it away, because don't you realize that right now I could ask my father, and he would give me 12 legions of angels, 6,000 angels, to a, to a legion, okay? 72,000 angels could be here right now. One angel killed 185,000 men. You would not want to be in the place where the Lord sends 72,000 angels to clean up the mess. <laughs> okay? So not only did this angel Lord cut down 185,000 men, but then the king of Syria had to return home because he had virtually no army left. And so the, the few men that were left, they returned home. He returned home shamefaced, and two of his sons went into the temple where he was worshiping and killed him. Thus the Lord, verse 22, saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Zennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem, and presents to, king, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all the nations thereafter. Okay, because it was on uh, Judah's territory that the Assyrian army was destroyed, everyone around is now fearing the Israelites, saying, man, we need to keep peace with these people. And one of the ways you kept peace with a nation at that time that was stronger and bigger than you are is you would send them gifts. So they were sending money. They were sending gifts to Hezekiah, you know, kind of like, be nice to us. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord. And God did answer him. Um, again, Second Kings tells us that, that he, uh, he became sick, Isaiah came in and said, uh, King Hezekiah, set your house in order because you're going to die. And Hezekiah um, began to pray. As soon as Isaiah gave that word and and turned around and left, um, Hezekiah turned toward the wall and said, God, I've been so faithful. I've just, I've done your will. I've, I've, you know... I've supplied food for your, for your priest, and I've set all these things back in order. We've gotten back on track spiritually, and God, I'm just asking you to extend my life. And as Hezekiah got to the edge of the court, the Lord spoke to him and said, go back and, and tell Hezekiah that he is going to live. And then I'm going to add 15 years to his life. And uh, so in those days, verse 24 tells us Hezekiah was sick and near death, and he prayed to the Lord. And he spoke to him and gave him a sign. And, they were, and, and um, they, were, they were in the courtyard, the inner courtyard, and there was a sundial there. 
And um, Isaiah said the, the Lord is, is going to, to heal you. He's going to raise you up, and he's going give to you, give you 15 more years. And Hezekiah said, well, how do I know that? And Isaiah said, what? You want a sign? And he says, yeah, I want a sign. And the sundial is right there, and, he's, and Isaiah said, okay, so, so what sign do you want? You want the sundial to move forward 10 degrees? You want it to move back 10 degrees? What's your pleasure? He said, well, it naturally moves, moves forward 10 degrees. Um, have it go back 10 degrees. And the Lord answered that call of Isaiah, and the sundial actually moved back. And, and there's, it's funny because a lot of theologians say that the 10 steps the sundial went back actually balanced out that extra long day that was in the days of, of uh, Joshua when Joshua commanded the sun to stand still in the sky and the moon not to move so they could finish this battle. And so it's interesting because it was that same amount of time that was, that was added and now was taken back. Verse 25, But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. Therefore wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. And that's how fast pride comes. Man, I don't care who you are, pride, pride comes like a tidal wave, okay? You think you got it all together, God is just blessing you, things are going really well, and it's kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Boom! You've got pride, okay? And as soon as you have pride, you are under the judgment of God. That's all there is to it. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so suddenly... And right after his heart being lifted up, the wrath is looming over him and over Judah and at Jerusalem. Everything's changing now, okay? Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, and he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Still going to come, but it didn't come in his days, okay? By humbling himself, he held back the judgment of God. Hezekiah had very great riches and honor. He made himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of desirable items. Storehouses for the harvest of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of livestock, and folds for flocks. Moreover, he provided cities for himself, and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very much property. The same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlet of Upper Gihon and brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah prospered in all his works. Interesting. This, this whole tunnel system, uh, much of it is still there. 1,777 feet through solid rock. This was a marvel. Okay? Absolute marvel. And literally just made the water come in the other way. However, regarding the ambassadors of the prince of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him, that he might know all that was in his heart. And there are times when God will test you. God doesn't forsake you. In fact, the, the parallel verse of Scripture in 2 Kings talks about that God gave him slack. Okay, Didn't keep the reins tight on him. Gave him slack. Or as it says here, God withdrew himself from him in order to test him to see what was in his heart. God gave him space. You know, that, that repentance over that pride, let's see if it's really there. And God just took a step back, didn't forsake him, didn't forsake his people, but just let Hezekiah make the decisions on his own. Okay? So what are you going to do? These ambassadors from Babylon come, and they... They hear about the wonders of the land. They heard about this, this solid rock tunnel that, that's diverted water and the blessings that God has brought upon the land. And so these ambassadors come, and, uh, and, and Isaiah came up to him after this and said, uh, who are those people and where are they from? And he said, well, they, they're ambassadors from a land far away, the land of Babylon. And um, Hezekiah said to the, or Isaiah said to, to Hezekiah, so, so what did you show them? And he said, I, I showed him a lot. He said, what did you show him with regards to, to your palace and to your treasure? He said, I showed him everything. And Isaiah said, they're going to come back one day. 
and they are going to carry everything you have shown them away. However, it's not going to come in your day. There's going to be peace in your day. And Hezekiah's response to that was not turning to the wall and seeking God and repenting. His response to that was, well, at least in my day I'll have peace. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness, indeed, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, and in the books of the kings of Judah, the kings of Judah and Israel. So Hezekiah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper tombs of the sons of David, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem honored him at his death. Then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. And we're going to close there, but I want to read just the first four words of chapter 33, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He was 12 years old when he became king. Hezekiah's life was extended by 15 years. If Hezekiah would have died when God said, set your house in order, you're going to die, the nation never would have suffered the reign of Manasseh like they suffered. Interesting. Okay. So we'll uh, get into chapter 33 next week. Father, we thank you again tonight for your word, and your word is just so illuminating, so enlightening. And as we've read this, this very ancient account, we see so many parallels to our lives. As, as Paul put it, these things were written for our, for our admonition. They're written for examples to us. And we see that time and time again. We've watched Hezekiah and his walk with you, how it started out so strong and began to falter and, and how pride got in there. And God, we, we see that in our own lives. We see those same struggles that, that they were going through um, are the same struggles that we go through today. And, and God, we can learn from them. We don't have to make those same mistakes they make. We don't have to fall in the same areas they fall in or fell in. And I just thank you again, Lord, for your word that is always ever instructing to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. How crazy was it? Oh my gosh. Wait till <coughs> wait. Oh my gosh. Um oh, oh my gosh. Thursday I had a coworker come in, very distraught, and come in sporting a new hat. And I'm like, What's with the hat? She's like, Oh, I got a haircut. And I'm like, Wait, you don't like it? She goes, I didn't want my haircut. I was like, Well what happened? She comes from an abusive uh, her husband's abusive. And I prayed with her, and I talked to her, and, you know, he had handcuffed her and cut her hair. Told her he was going to kill her. And you know, we cried, we talked, and, um, you know, I didn't realize the words, how, how prophetic God used me that day. But I told her, I said, you know, Bobby, you need to leave because he's, he's going to kill you. He's going to kill you. And we, we, sent her, we sent her, you know, we, we, you have to go. You can't stay here. You have to go. And uh, her husband called twice that day looking for her. And he called the next day looking for her. Saturday, he found her. And he had a gun. And he told her that if she didn't go home with him, he was going to kill her entire family, her mother, her father, their baby, and then kill her, and then kill himself. And... Uh, God was, I mean, my husband and I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I called him that Thursday, and I said, okay, this is this man's name. This is her name because, you know, you just hear of this, and that was the day that that whole thing in Seal Beach happened. So, I mean, I was terrified. I was, and I didn't realize how crazy this man was, and my boss made a joke of it, you know, wear, wear your bulletproof vest and wear your running shoes, and, you know, this guy's crazy. Well, he was crazy. Well, Saturday the cops killed him. He was killed and she's free and I just thank God <laughs> I thank God because we pray we pray for protection over my work over her and and you know God did what he had to do but the trauma of that you know I walked around Monday terrified um, and then we had a crazy person at work too <laughs> that we had to fire Friday who came and sat in our parking lot and I mean I think 
I think he's sick right now. You know, you just really feel that. And he came and sat in our parking lot Monday. And he was just sitting out in the parking lot for like 30 minutes. And Richard sent me a text and said, um, what, what was it? Um, something, uh, just think on the Lord and, and know that you're safe. Well, as that text came in, I didn't read it because my boss had walked up to me. He said, Jimmy's in the parking lot. Call the cops. You know, he's been sitting out there. And as I went to just go look, I pulled the text out. And, I mean, it was the exact time Richard sent me that. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I mean, I knew I was in God's hands. I knew we were okay, but something, you know, things were happening. And I'm like, you know, Lord, sometimes you need to be reminded of how, <laughs> how much you really, really save us. Because if we not prayed that protection, that man was looking for her. Had she been there Thursday or Friday, it could have been us. He could have walked in there with that gun. And I've just, I have been thanking him all week for having me in his hand. Because I never knew how close I was. So I just praise my Jesus for just being being with us and, and, and being with her and and her nightmare is over and she's starting to heal and I just thank the Lord. Here, here is the text. I was at work and I was on top of a ladder installing a security camera and it came to me and the Lord told me to tell her this and I sent this to her and I never write things like this but I I wrote let the peace of God make you feel safe he's close to you wow wow it's so incredible oh my goodness wow wow with the hand of God though oh my goodness yeah oh yeah Oh yeah, yeah. Especially with that with that situation in Seal Beach, it's like that's deja vu. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a great account of God's provision and protection. My goodness. Someone else tonight have something they'd like to share with us? I know it may not be as dramatic as that, but, it's, but God is good in big stuff and small stuff. It's nice to know we have a God who can handle the big stuff, you know? Because when we're facing small stuff, it's like, this is nothing for God. Okay. Anyone else just want to share something tonight? It's good to have you guys home. Good to good to see you. Okay, David in his house. When are we going? Can we all go at the same time? <laughs> we brought Jubilee to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Anyone else? Something good to share before we? Get to, we got some serious prayer needs tonight, too. Um, Chris Donnelly, um, Gina's son, is in the hospital. He has some kind of, some kind of infection on, on his arm. Gina said it was, it was so massive that he, that he couldn't even bend his arm. And so they've got him on antibiotics. They cleaned all the junk out of there. So let's just pray for Chris tonight. Uh, Gina also wanted prayer for... Um, for the apple preparation, you know, they're selling the, they're doing the fundraiser on Sunday for caramel apples, and uh, many of you have ordered, obviously, a lot of us have ordered. they got like a hundred of those to do, and so they just want to pray that everything goes smoothly and easy, and so we're going to pray along that line as well. Um, let's also pray for, for Tyne and Michael. Um, just before service, uh, Vicki was just kind of sharing with me that they, they just need prayer. Some, some situations going on right there. Um, also, um, Brad and Joyce's grandson, Jackson, um, 
had, has had two seizures in the last three days or four days, and he's never had seizures before. And so let's just pray for Jackson and for peace for that family. Um, Carmel asked me to, to pray for Peggy Woods tonight and also Tom, um, her husband. There's a, I, I don't know what's going on with Peggy, but I, I know with, with Tom, his, his son has had a problem and, and uh, just a situation that only God can, can intervene in and work out. Okay. And other needs. Do you have anything? Yes, Richard. How's your son doing? We had to go pick him up again from school um, the other day, and uh, we uh, just pray for a miracle. Lord, we want to pray for him and for Tiffany also, uh, unspoken again for her, and just for the rest of our family. Yeah, we're just constantly under attack, and for Jeff too. Okay, we're gonna pray for that whole situation, all those needs. Someone else? Prayer request tonight? Yes. Okay. Let's pray for Linda. Okay. Let's pray for Linda tonight. God will just mend that rib up. Arlene's on track for her new house. Okay. God has just opened a door. It's been so cool. It's been neat to watch this whole process that God is leading her through. Any other, any other needs? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, let's pray for Tommy tonight and that whole family situation. Anyone else tonight? Well, we know, of a big, we know we have a big God, right? We know of a God who can protect us and can keep his hand upon us. Let's just go ahead and just spend a couple minutes and just bring these needs to, before him. Father, you know, when we were reading tonight and, and talking about Hezekiah and, and bringing those letters to you and spreading them out in the house of the Lord, God, that's, that's what we want to do tonight as we bring these needs to you. We want to spread them out in this place that we refer to as your house. And God, we just, we just lay them before you. You know the situation with Richard, Lord, with, with the chest pains. We're just asking for your healing touch to rest upon him and, and for you just to bring him through this and to just make a way for him. God, just heal that young man's body in Jesus' name. Lord, you know the, what's going on with Tiffany, and we just pray about that as well, just that you will lead her and direct her and help her in every decision that she has to make and open doors that you want her to go through and close doors that you don't want her to go through and just lead her Lord we just we just lay that before you we pray for Jeff tonight and just bring his needs to you God and say we just want your will and as Richard was sharing about all these attacks we just we just bring the the whole family to you and just lay those needs out before you and and just ask for your intervention and and ask for you to work things out God we, we thank you that that we're not smarter than you are that we don't have to tell you how to do things. We can just bring our needs to you and let you work it out any way you want to work it out because there is one thing we've learned. You are able to do exceedingly abundantly far beyond anything that we ask or think. So we're not about to tell you how to work this out or how to do it, Lord. We are just looking to you and saying, okay, God, you take care of it. Your will, your way, in Jesus' name. God, we pray for Linda tonight and just ask you to touch her. Lord, just bring healing to that rib, in Jesus' name. And God, that that even during this trip, that this will be a restful trip for her. And it won't be a strenuous one. It won't be one where she is in constant pain. And so we just pray for Linda tonight, Lord, because you are a God who's big enough to heal a rib. And we just ask you to do that in Jesus' name. And Father, you know the situation with Tommy and, and his family and just all that's going on there. And, and God, we just bring him to you. You know the details. You know what's going on in his heart. You know what's going on in his wife's heart. You know what's going on in that whole family. And, and God, we just pray tonight for him that your will will just be accomplished in his life and that, and that he will really turn to you, not just speak about you once in a while, but really turn his life 100% to you and trust you to work things out and to trust you to guide his steps and to trust you 
to, to move in his life and to provide for him. And God, we just thank you for that tonight. And Lord, the needs that we've shared about, about Chris, we just pray for healing for him. Let that infection be gone. In Jesus' name, just bring complete healing to his body. Bring peace to his mom's heart, because I know that as a mom, you're, you're so concerned. And just pray tonight, Lord, that you'll just be with, with Gina, be with, with Chris tonight, and just bring healing to Chris's body. Lord, as... as um, Vicki was sharing with me about Tyne and Michael. Lord, you know what's going on there, and we just pray that your will would be done there in their lives and in their, in, in their hearts, and God, that you will just work out everything that needs to be worked out in their lives, and, and as they draw close to you, that you will just draw them close to each other. And, and I just thank you, God, that you're, you're at work there and that all things really do work together for good to those who love you and to those who are the called according to your purpose. And just pray for them, Lord, that your will would be accomplished there. And for Gina and her crew, Tina and others that, that are going to be making these hundred uh, caramel apples, Lord, I just pray for strength for them. I just pray that everything will go well and that it will just be a, a very, very smooth process and that things will just happen the way they need to happen. And, and God, I pray for young Jackson tonight who just turned three years old and, and has just experienced those two seizures, the seizure on, on Sunday morning and then the seizure yesterday. And Lord, we're just asking you to just touch him and to just bring him through this and to bring healing to him. I pray for his mom, Cassie, that you'll just give her peace as well, and, and Dad Jed, Lord, that you'll be, you'll be with both of them as well. And, and Father, we, we pray for the Woods family. We pray for Peggy and Tom and Tom's son. And, and Lord, you know the needs in each of those lives, and we just pray that you will just provide and, and direct and just bring your peace into those, those lives. And, and God, if there's one thing we learned from our lesson tonight, it's you are the God who provides, and you're the God who makes a way. And even though the enemy may come against us, as your word talks about, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And we know that, God. We know that your Spirit raises up that wall, raises up that standard, that we are never overwhelmed, we're never, we're never taken away and, and swept away by, by the evil that, that may happen or may come against us, because there's no weapon that is formed against us, it will prosper. And God, we stand on that promise. We stand on your word. And we just, again, thank you for our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming tonight. Have a great rest of the week.